We are going to continue our series, The Pursuit of Happiness, based on the book, the letter, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I've enjoyed hearing many of your comments as you've been reading and studying the book of Philippians on your own and in community groups. Some of you have come up to me and mentioned some of your findings and in, in your readings of the book of Philippians. And even as we've studied this together on Sunday morning, I was walking out uh, last Sunday, a person came up to me and says, you know, would you preach that sermon again next month and the next month and again? And he goes, I just really need... To hear that other person said, you know, I felt my stickers falling off last week as I, as I learned to root my identity and my worth and value in Christ. One person said, you know, Chad, you may not have noticed, noticed this, but you said crap about seven times last Sunday. And it sounded like you kind of liked it. I said, you know what, I, I'm not quite sure if I liked it, but I do like that truth that we read about last week, that all of our good behavior, all of our righteous deeds, they're all like dung, they're rubbish, they're, they're crap, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. I just have I've learned so much together as a community as we've pursued happiness together. Because life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not just written in the Declaration of Independence. It's written, it's written on our hearts that we all have this desire, this longing to live a life of happiness and joy and contentment. And over the last few weeks, we've been studying some, some foundational, some, some revolutionary truths as it relates to our happiness. The first thing that we learned is that happiness is possible. Paul says this in Philippians 4.12. He says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in every and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, happiness, joy, contentment, it's possible. And that is a profound truth. Happiness is possible regardless of our circumstances. Whether we found it or whether we haven't found it, it's possible to learn to live a life of happiness. Happiness is possible, but happiness is also rare. Not everyone we know is living a life of happiness. It's a secret. It's not obvious. It's hard to find. It might take some pursuing in places that you haven't looked before. Happiness is possible, but happiness is rare. It's a secret. It's not obvious. And happiness also does not come from our external circumstances. I've learned to live in plenty and in want. My happiness, my contentment is not dependent upon my external circumstances. I've got these roots like the tree planted by a stream of water that goes deep. Regardless of my circumstances, in plenty or in want, I have this joy and contentment. See, happiness is not dependent upon my external circumstances. In the last two weeks, we talked about some of the things that kill our joy. Some of the things that can steal our joy. And it's not just the bad things. You know, we talked about, you know, vain conceit and selfishness and conflict. Sometimes it's the good things that can steal our joy. It's those good things, those righteous things that we do for God's attention to look good before God and other people. It's the good things that we do for all the wrong reasons. It's our self-righteousness that can prevent us from living a life of joy and happiness. Paul says it this way. He says, I don't have a righteousness that comes from my own through the law but a righteousness that comes by faith. My righteousness not comes from my good deeds, my good behavior, but it comes from what Christ has done for me. My righteousness is by faith in Christ. And this morning we're going to learn another principle, another secret 
for this path, this journey towards a life of happiness. We want to uncover another truth that will help us live the path. Now, this happiness isn't just this, you know, smile, smile, joy, joy, you know, paint a a smile on my face. We're talking about a, a deep sense of joy and contentment, regardless of our circumstances. If you're here this morning and you're a little bit unhappy, you're a little bit frustrated, you're a little bit unsure about your future, this, this, this morning is a word from God to you. It was originally written to the Philippians, and we're going to open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. In your pew Bibles, it's page 1163. And, and, and the context for this letter that Paul's writing, he's in a Roman prison. He's awaiting his execution. And, and the Philippians are going through a very difficult economic times. I mean, food is hard to find. They're being persecuted. And Paul writes to these people that are discouraged. They're, they're frustrated. They don't know what the future holds for them. So Paul writes these, these words of encouragement and hope and joy. So as we continue in our pursuit of happiness, let us turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, where Paul writes the following. Not having already obtained this, not already having obtained this, this joy, this knowing Christ, or already have been made perfect. Paul starts art by saying, I am not yet perfect. I have not yet obtained this. I still make mistakes, Paul says. I, I still sin sometimes. I still find my worth and value in what I do rather than what Christ has done for me. I'm still struggling. I still forget what really matters in life. Now, we've got to remember, this is the Apostle Paul, right? This is the guy that wrote you know, half the New Testament. This, this is the, 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 the leader of the church. He says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He, he still sings, I still am searching. I still haven't obtained it. I still haven't been made perfect. There's, there's still this longing, this hunger inside of my heart. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm still hungry. I'm still thirsty. See, sometimes people come to church and, and, and they, they can sometimes take up a pew and they say, you know what, I've, I've heard this message before. Or I've read the Bible from cover to cover. Or, you know, I know this already. And, and yet that's not what Paul says. Paul says, I can fill my stomach and it's satisfied, but I can't fill my heart enough. There's still so much more to know about God. I'm still hungry. I'm still thirsty. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I haven't been made perfect. I haven't obtained all this. And because I'm still hungry, because I'm still thirsty for more of God, Paul writes these profound words. Verse 12, he says this, But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's a powerful verse. We're going to dive into that a little bit more later. But you can circle that word press on in your Bible. It it is a key verse or a key word to understanding this passage. Verse 13, he says this. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it, take hold of this powerful relationship with Jesus. But one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on, there's that word again, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Notice Paul does not write, the one thing I do is pursue happiness. He doesn't say, my number one priority in life is to be happy. 
He doesn't say, you know, I'm just doing the best that I can to be the best person, the best me that I can be. Paul doesn't say that. What he says is, I don't pursue happiness. I pursue God. I press on toward God. And immediately we see one of the secrets to happiness. One of the secrets that we can often overlook in our pursuit of happiness. And it's simply this. Happiness can never be found directly. Happiness is always the byproduct of pursuing something else. You'll never be happy pursuing happiness. You'll never be satisfied trying to fill your life with happiness. Happiness is always the byproduct of pursuing someone else. This truth is all over the scriptures. Remember when we studied the Beatitudes and Jesus says, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit. Blessed or happy are the pure in heart. Blessed, happy are the meek. God never says, blessed are those that seek blessings. Just never says that. God never says, happy are those who seek happiness. God never says that. Happiness, joy, contentment is always the byproduct of pursuing something else. Jesus said it this way. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you as well. Seek first God's kingdom, God's rule and reign in your life, and all these things, peace, love, joy, all those things will be added to you as well because the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of a loving, intimate relationship with Jesus is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, happiness, joy, contentment is the byproduct of pursuing someone else. That's one of the secrets to this journey of happiness. If you want to be happy, if you want to be really happy, this deep happiness, regardless of your circumstances, whether in plenty or in want, then pursue God. That's what Paul says. He says, run after God. Make Jesus your greatest treasure and highest pleasure. Paul says, one thing I do. I I don't do a lot of things, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. And let's just unpack that verse a little bit more. Paul says, the first thing I want you to do in your pursuit of happiness and your pursuit of Jesus is to forget about the past. Forget about the past. Quit dwelling on the past. Quit thinking about all the things that you did or failed to do. Don't dwell on the past, the good and the bad and the ugly. Don't base your worth or your value on what you did or didn't do, your accomplishments and your failures. Don't get stuck in the past. Now, most of us remember Paul's past, don't we? Most of us remember Paul as a persecutor of the church, right? He was breathing out murderous threats. He was a violent man. I mean, he was a coat rack for Stephen stoning. I mean, he, he was an evil man. And, and, and it's true, dwelling on his past mistakes would have prevented him from living a life of joy and happiness. But that's not what Paul writes about in Philippians 3. That's not what he describes. In Philippians 3, verse 5, he lists his past accomplishments. He lists all the good things that he did. He clearly describes his behind. He says, look at my resume. Look at my status. Look at my heritage. He says, I was, I was circumcised on the eighth day. 
I'm from the inside. I, I, my ethnicity is pure. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm culturally pure. I'm not a Hellenistic Jew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. My, look at my educational accomplishments. I'm a Pharisee. I've studied the scriptures backwards and forwards. As to the law, I'm flawless. I've lived a life of, of, of righteousness. My resume is impeccable. I've done a lot of very, very good things. I come from a pure, clean stock. I'm a really good guy. I've accomplished much. And Paul says, that's what I need to forget about. That's what I need to leave behind. It's not just the bad stuff persecuting the church. It's the good stuff. It's all the good things that I did to get people to notice me, to get God to like me, to feel good about myself. He says, I forget about those things. It's my self-righteousness, all those good things that I did for the wrong reasons, to get people to notice me, to feel good about myself, to get points with God. He says, I got to forget about those things. I forget about all those good things. I turn away from those good things. See, so often we forget the things that we need to remember and we remember the things that we need to forget. And Paul says, forget about your past, the good stuff and the bad stuff. Forget it all. Don't dwell on the past. Don't, don't let your mind go backwards. Don't dwell on the past. The, the, the things that you need to remember are not there. The one thing you do need to remember is to strength forward. Remember how to live in a relationship with your heavenly father. It's not about good behavior. It's not about bad behavior. It's about understanding the behavior of Christ and the work that Christ did on your behalf. See, there's one thing that you need to remember as you enter into this relationship with God that is always through the doorway of repentance. It's not about your good behavior. It's not about your bad behavior. It's about your repenting of your sin. It's turning away from your self-righteousness, your good behavior, and turning toward God. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Do you remember how that younger son returned to the father? I mean, after he squandered his father's wealth, after he was living with the pigs, after he was living with the after he did all those bad things, he turned towards his dad. He starts walking home. He has his repentance speech in hand. And he says to his dad, he says, Dad, I don't even deserve to be your son. Make me your servant. He says, Dad, I owe you. I owe you. I turn away from my stuff. I owe you. I've squandered your wealth. I've disobeyed you. I owe you. But so often we turn to God and we say, God, you owe me. Look at all these things I've done for you. I've kept my nose clean. You know, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do. You know, I'm a pretty good guy. You owe me. Isn't that how we approach God sometimes? Look at all these things I've done for you. You owe me. But the doorway to a relationship with God is, God, I owe you. I squandered your wealth. I disobeyed you. And when we approach God this way, you owe me, we miss the party. Because it's through repentance that Jesus strikes up the band that our Heavenly Father kills a fatted calf, has the barbecue, welcomes us home. It's through the doorway of repentance. So if you're here this morning and you're, you're not happy, you're discouraged, you're frustrated, maybe God's word for you this morning is simply this. Forget the past. Don't dwell on the past. Don't keep thinking about all the things that you did or didn't do. Don't base your worth and value on your accomplishments or your failures. Forget about it. Forget about your past because you can never get ahead by looking behind. 
You can never move forward by looking at your past. You're just going to bump into something. It's never, it's never going to allow you to live the life of happiness. That's why Paul continues. He writes this. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. It's the Greek word there. It's repeated twice for emphasis. And it's the Greek word dioko. Let me hear you say dioko. Dioko. Dioko means to press. It means to pursue. It means to pound. It means to persecute. It's a really intense word. It means to press, to pound, to persecute. Add to that straining towards what is ahead. And we get this picture of an Olympic athlete, you know, this runner who's, who's putting all of her energy, all of her passion, all, all of her resources towards one single goal, to win the prize, to win the race. See, that's the intensity. All the energy, all the effort towards a single point to win the prize. See, that's what Paul is describing. He's saying with laser beam intensity, I channel all my energy, all my passion, all my resources. I press on. I beat my body. I train vigorously. I pour all my energy and passion towards a single point to win the prize. See, Paul knows the secret of happiness. Paul knows that happiness is always the byproduct of pursuing something else. You'll never find happiness pursuing happiness. You can never find happiness directly. Paul says, I pursue God with all that I am, with all that I have, with great intensity. I press, I persecute, I train my body. I push all my energy and passion towards one thing, knowing Jesus, being found in him. Paul explains his intensity in verse 12. In verse 12, he says this fascinating phrase. It goes this way. He says, I press on, dioko, I press on, to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It's, it's a little confusing statement, first read, but, it, but it's a really powerful statement. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Meaning someone took hold of me. Someone came after me. I was pursued. I was sought after. I was ambushed. The Greek word here for take hold of is the word katalambano. And katalambano, it almost like, it sounds like an Italian word, you know, it's katalambano. And, and, and it's kind of got a, a mafioso uh, sound to it because to take hold of is this violent word. I mean, it, it literally means to attack, to seize, to overpower, to grasp. Paul says, I wasn't planning on following Christ. I was just kind of going through my day of persecuting the church. And I was seized. I was attacked. I was overwhelmed. I was, I was overpowered. I was seized by the love and grace and forgiveness of God. Now, undoubtedly, Paul's referring to his conversion experience as he's walking down the road to Damascus, kind of going after persecuting the churches, his own self-righteousness. And he was blinded by the light. You know, Christ came and met him in power and he was changed. 
And God met him in his power and his grace. He says, I was blinded by that. I was seized. I was attacked. I was overwhelmed. And I'm just trying to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Jesus attacked me. Jesus ambushed me. And I'm just trying to grasp that same intensity that Jesus grasped me. Now notice Paul does not say, if I take hold of Christ, Christ will take hold of me. That's not the teaching here. If I take hold of Christ, Christ will take hold of me. Paul says, Christ took hold of me. He seized me. He ambushed me. I wasn't planning on becoming a Christian, but Christ came and he overwhelmed me with his power and his grace and forgiveness. I was just doing my thing in my own self-righteousness and I was overwhelmed by God's presence in my life. I wasn't planning on becoming a Christian. When I was 18 years old, I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I was kind of doing my own thing. I, I, I was playing junior hockey at the time, and I came across an advertisement in Let's Play Hockey newspaper. It says, wanted born-again Christian hockey players to play in Europe. And I said to myself, I don't know much about that born-again thing, but I sure would like to play hockey in Europe. Because that's what I was pursuing. That was my God. That's what I thought life was all about, playing hockey. So I applied. I got on this team, and I got to play hockey in Europe. But as I was preparing for this experience in Europe, I, I, I had to drive up to a training camp in Hastings, Minnesota. I was 18 years old. And my high school buddy uh, drove me up. And as we were driving up there, you know, we were laughing about some of the things we did in high school. And I was just about to get out of the car and go to training camp for this uh, trip to Europe. And um, my buddy Nolan says, he says, Boogie, that was my nickname back then. He says, Boogie, don't come back some Jesus freak. I said, Nolan, don't worry about it. I'm going to play hockey because that was my life. That was my goal. That was my dream. But I was ambushed. I was overwhelmed by the love and grace and acceptance of Jesus. I wasn't planning on becoming a Christian. I was seized. I was overwhelmed by the presence and forgiveness of Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, I'm just trying to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. God embraced me. God forgave me. God took hold of me. And I'm just trying to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Have you ever sensed that someone's pursuing you? Have you ever sensed that maybe God is using all of your relationships, all of your circumstances, all the tough times, all the bad times, all the good things to come after you to tell you about his love his grace his power his acceptance for you because you are sought after god left the glories and riches of heaven he left it all he came down from heaven in pursuit of you he came to seek and save the lost That's you. That's me. He left it all. He left perfect communion with his heavenly father to die upon a cross for you. He pursues you. That's how much he loves you. Have you ever sensed in your life that maybe all your circumstances, all your relationships, the good and the bad, are all this pursuit of God after you? Because that's how much God loves you. He left the glories and the riches of heaven. Jesus lived the perfect life, a life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve to die, to enter into a relationship with us. He pursues us. You're sought after. You're the beloved. Have you ever sensed the relentless tenderness 
of Jesus. This, this, this is the teaching. And Paul's just saying, I'm trying to grasp the same intensity that Jesus grasped me. I'm trying to take hold of, I'm not mustering up some sort of energy. I'm just responding to the energy that Jesus has for me. Jesus pursues me intensely. I'm not pressing in my own strength. I'm just responding to that relentless tenderness of Jesus that he pursued, he overwhelmed me. I deserve hell, he gave me heaven. I deserve death, he gave me life. I deserve eternal separation from God. He gives me eternal peace and joy and contentment. Paul says, I don't do a lot of things, but I do one thing. I forget what is behind and I strain, I press, I channel all my energy, all my passion towards one thing, knowing Christ Jesus. Knowing Christ Jesus, not just knowing him intellectually, not just knowing he's the savior of the world, but knowing him personally, knowing him experientially, knowing him as my savior, as my friend. That's my focus. That's my passion. That's the one thing I do. See, happiness is the byproduct of pursuing Jesus. Happiness is the byproduct of pursuing Jesus. You can never pursue happiness directly. If you pursue happiness over God, you lose both. If you pursue God over happiness, you gain both. If you pursue happiness over God, you lose both. But if you pursue God over happiness, you gain both because that's the way God works. The way up is down. The way to be rich is to give yourself away. The way to be full is to to empty yourself. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of happiness. If you focus on the one thing, I pursue knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Happiness is always a byproduct of pursuing something else. So Paul says, with all my energy, with all my passion, I pursue knowing Jesus. There was a study done recently about the study habits of college students. And college students from the best of the best schools, MIT and Stanford, they, they, they studied, they, they did a research product on their, on their study habits. And as you may notice, that, that our college students have a variety of things that can distract them in their studies. And they'll, they'll be working on a paper, and at the same time, they'll be in a chat room. They'll be on some music. Their emails will pop up. They'll be doing Facebook or Twitter. There'll be five, seven things going on at the same time as writing a paper or studying for an exam. And some researchers studied the best and the best, the brightest of the brightest, Harvard, MIT, Stanford, and, and they studied these college students, and they were trying to discern if this, these distractions, or as the college students describe it as multitasking, if multitasking actually helps or hinders you in your studies. And to the amazement of the college students and to the dismay of the college students, through this significant amount of research, they discerned that college students who, are, who, who claim to be multitaskers, that great at it, really weren't that good. And that their studies actually went down quite a bit. But when they focused on one thing, the depth of knowledge increased exponentially. They went on to say that your brain does not develop well if, you, if, you, if you're unable to focus on one thing and go deeper and deeper. And that's the same is true in our relationship with God. There are some aspects of our relationship with God that will never be developed until we focus with great intensity 
And then we go deeper and deeper and deeper because all of us can live lives of distraction. I mean, there's so many things that can take up our time and energy. And Paul says, I just focus on one thing, knowing him, experiencing his presence and power in my life. And then regardless of my circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I have this sense of deep joy, happiness, and contentment. This is the way of happiness. This is the way of joy. This is the way of Jesus. True happiness, lasting peace comes not from pursuing happiness, pursuing joy, but from pursuing Jesus Christ more than anything else. If you pursue happiness over God, you gain either. If you pursue Christ over happiness, you gain both. What what, what are you focused on intensely? What would it look like in your life to pursue Jesus more than anything with great passion and intensity? How would your life be characterized by joy and contentment if you had one thing on your list of things to do this week, to pursue Christ? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word because we're all in this pursuit of happiness. None of us are there yet. We still haven't found what we're looking for completely, but we know where to find it. Knowing you, there is no greater thing. You are my life. You are my joy. May you do a work among us this morning to forget about what is behind our past failures, our past accomplishments. And may you do a work inside of us to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of us. May we experience anew the relentless tenderness of Jesus and respond in faith to pursue Jesus. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name.